0: Good evening everyone. Tonight's class is titled What Happens If One Sins? To be honest, it's not a Hasidic title. You know, to talk about the effect, of, the effect of a sin, to talk about some of the details of prerogatory are things that in general Hasidus tries to remain away from for the simple reason that we have more of an effect through love than through fear. That is one of the major differences between the Hasidic movement which was a movement out of love over the Musser movement which was a movement that was here to encourage people out of fear. Both are holy but out of love we could accomplish even more. You know they give an example they say if you have a, a porcupine which has all these and it's filthy There's two ways you could clean it. One is you could go and pick every single part of it which will take you a while. Or the other one is very simple, it just shakes itself off in a moment and everything disappears. Well if we're able to make that inner shake like that animal, if we could shake ourselves through having that love for Hashem so we could go a lot further than people that are trying to scare us and trying to come from the outside. So if we could affect our inner selves, there's a much bigger effect that could be had. Right. You know, I, yes? You're also being charitable There's a sizable body of comments that says that the Musar movement is indeed a reaction to um, the Tanya and, what, and to uh, Hasidism. Fair, fair, fair observation um, that uh, at times the Hasidic movement and Musar movement weren't um, working together, unfortunately which is a story of its own. But you know, this past week I spent a lot of time thinking about a question Dr. Yosef posed at the end of last week. And it really stuck to me because I thought it's an amazing point. In Tanya we're currently discussing how if you don't focus on what you're doing, if you don't do it for a godly reason, then it's actually an unholy item. If you don't eat for the sake of God, then not only is it plain, but it's actually unholy. That's perhaps a summary of what we've discussed. And Dr. Yosef Posey says, this is very tough. And, and, And tell me if I'm incorrect. But I felt at the end of the class you were asking a tremendous question. You're like, this is too much. It's not feasible. It's not realistic. Would that be correct? (laughs) and it really bothered me because I knew he was correct and the more I thought about it the more I realized that that is exactly what the goal of the Tanya is here to do Tanya is not telling us what the holy person could be Tanya is telling us what each and every one of us could be so it may be a hard task it may be a hard task to say that our life is focused on a mission. But, from Schneir Zaman and Netanya, his mission, his goal is to tell you that this is this is in, in our reach. As the mission statement of Netanya, Ki karo hadavar me'od. It is very close to you, Bithika in your mouth, to talk. Uvilvavcha, in your heart, to feel, and also to do. It's within our reach. So Dr. Yosef, on the contrary, not only is it not scary, it's exciting how much ability Hashem has given us. It may be a high task, but it is something that each and every one of us have the ability to fully do. And, and when I thought about that, not only was it not scary, but it actually was encouraging. How much faith, how much trust, how much energy has Hashem invested in each and every one of us? That's very powerful. But... Tonight we're going to start talking about what happens if we do sin. And in order for us to know what something holy could do and what something unholy accomplishes, God forbid, all we need to do is look at the name of that item. Names are a vessel for godliness. That is why it is so important to give a Jewish name. Yitzchak had his Jewish name recently. It is such a holy thing. Your Jewish name is your vessels. The letters of your Hebrew name are the godly, are are the vessels for the godly energy to come into your life. And let me give you an let me give you an example. Three rabbis, authors of the Gemara, authors of the Talmud, were going. On their way and they ended up in a specific inn for Shabbos. And they went and they asked the owner of the inn. They said, What is your name? And he says, Kidor. So two of the rabbis say, Beautiful name, Kidor. And they deposit, and they deposited with him the money they had over Shabbos. They were scared to hold it. They deposited it with Kidor. Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir, he was very particular about names. And he said, Kidor, you know what Kidor stands like? Kidor stands like two words. Kidor. He said it's a, it's a quote from a passage. You know what the passage says? Kidor ta puchos hema. This generation is an upside down generation. And it's a, it's a derogatory thing. Rabbi Meir said there's something up with this man, and Rabbi Meir did not give him the money. It wasn't a Jewish man, even. So two, two, of the rabbis gave him the money, but the third and Rabbi Meir didn't. Was that Rabbi Meir Paul, I Yes. Moshei oh. so, Shabbos comes and you got the story. The man said, "I never had any money. You never gave me anything." The two rabbis, they don't know what to do. They went. They took him to. They gave him what to drink. They, he got intoxicated and they looked at his lips, and they saw he still had remnants of his breakfast. They went to Kidor's wife, and they said, you know what your husband said to give us the money. And she's like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. They're like, no, 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 he even gave us a sign, and he even gave us a sign, the sign is that this and this is what he had for breakfast. And she saw that they're real, and she gave them the money. But, and from this story actually is one of the reasons that we do Anyone know what we learned from this story, a practical application? Are you familiar that after we eat bread, we wash our hands with water, we put it over our lips? This story actually is one of the sources for that. If, we, if you clean your, if you clean your um, lips, the, sto- the story wouldn't have happened. But, back to our discussion here. Names are powerful. Kidor, when Rabbi Meir knew that his name was Kidor, he knew there's something up. Well, let's now go and apply it to us. How do you say that something is permitted? Mutar. What does the word mutar mean? We say it every morning in prayers. Matir Asurim. Untied. Untied. There's nothing holding it back. Asur. What does Asur mean? (laughs) Forbidden is how we translate it, but what does asur mean? Bound. What? Bound. Bound. Let's look inside of our handout in the Tanya, number twenty-three. Sorry, I apologize. On page number three, n- number eleven. This is a quote with a story most of you are familiar with. Most most of you are familiar with in the Tanya. Handout is on, pa- on page number three, number 11. Yeah. So, most of you are familiar with the story the story of Samson and Delilah, Shimshon, Hagibor, this strong man, Shimshon, and he was a Nazarite. And the power that he had was in his hair. Are we familiar with the story of Samson? And he grew long hair, he was able to save the Jewish people. And he had a, a wife who was a Palestinian wife and she really wanted to find out his secret and essentially to kill him. And within that story he tells his wife the following in number 11. And he said to her, If I will be tied up with new ropes with which no work has been done, then I shall become weak and be as any man. He was trying to trick her. He didn't want to tell her the truth. And he said, if you tie me up. But what's the word he said to tie me up? He said, Asur Yasruni. If you tie me up, Asur. To be bound. So when we say something is prohibited, actually it's bound up. What is it bound up in? That's the question. And that's what we're going to learn momentarily. So mutar means, let's look in number 12 of your handout. Uh, we have over here the quote from the blessing we say every morning, number 12. Baruch at Hashem Matir Asurim. Blessed are you Hashem, our God, King of the universe. Who Matir releases Asurim, the bound. Matir means to release. So when we're going to look into Tanya now, we're going to see Reb Schneir's Alman says the words Mat-Mutar, to be released, and Asur, to be bound, tell us exactly what happens when we do something permitted and, God forbid, the opposite. Let's look inside of the Tanya now. Do we want to copy the Tanya? In the Tanya, in the red Tanya, we are on page thirty, and we're in the fourth line of the left hand hand column. This is implied. If you're in the handouts, we're on page number three, and we are six lines from the top. This is implied. This idea that when we do something permissible, without good intention, all we need to do is to go ahead and do Teshuvah, come closer to God. Again, if we we ate something with an unholy intention, but we didn't sin, we ate something kosher. We had a Starbucks coffee, but for just an unholy reason. So, all we need to do is to repent. Say, God, I want to become close to you. That's all that's necessary. How do I know that? This is implied in the terms permissibility. And permitted, mutar. That is to say, what does it mean that it's mutar? That which is not tied and bound. It's not tied up. There's nothing holding it back by the power of the extraneous forces, preventing it from returning and ascending to God. Mutar, when we do anything that is allowed by the Torah, but with an unholy intention, doesn't matter. It's mutar. It was permissible. It was unbound. And therefore, all that's necessary to elevate that energy is connect with God. We haven't sinned. We have have done something unholy, but we have not sinned. It's not tied up. It's not asur. All we need to do is return to God. But there is a small catch here. It's not so simple. When we do something with an unholy intention, a trace of it sticks with us forever. If you have a stain, most stains will come out of the washing machine. But sometimes a small trace is going to remain. Well, that's what happens when we do something permissible for an unholy reason. We've stained ourselves. All we need to do is put it in the washing machine, is come closer to God. But a stain remains. And, and nevertheless, a trace of the evil remains in the body. Therefore, the body must undergo the the. Per- The purgatory of the grave, as will be explained later. There, There is different methods of cleaning oneself. We know in Judaism there is never punishment. We don't punish. We don't take someone and say, you're wicked, we're just going to beat you up and hurt you. Whatever happens in Judaism is a method of rectification, a method of purification. For example, if someone stole one time, but they did what the court told them to do as a rectification, you're not called a thief anymore. You're not a criminal. You've purified yourself. Even, God forbid, the death penalty in Judaism is not to hurt anyone. Actually, the death penalty is a method of purification. Instead of being punished in heaven, you're punished on earth. It's much easier. If, if, God forbid, someone did something horrific, the punishment you get on this world is much smaller than the punishment in heaven. So, we don't just hurt people. So, purgatory of the grave, what does that mean? Well, it's just like if you have a talis. And it's very, it's full of dirt. You sometimes you need to like just shake it out. You need to just get you ever saw people, do you take your tablecloth, it's full of crumbs and you shake it out? Mm-hmm. Well, th- that is what <laughs> chibut haker, purgatory of the grave is. It's where angels come and they hit the grave. Mm-hmm. They are shaking, they are shaking this the body, shaking the soul, and getting rid of all those crumbs. The klipa, so a trace of evil remains in the body if we do something permissible but for an unholy reason. For example, here's another example. So too with regard to the vitality of the drops of semen emitted from the body with animal lust, by him who who has not conducted himself in a saintly manner during intimacy with his wife in her state of purity. So we know that there's times that a couple is allowed to have a re- relationship. There's times that the Torah says it's not appropriate. But here we're talking about where the Torah says it's completely permissible. But you've done it out of lust rather than out of holy intentions. So then, you've done something that is inappropriate. How do you elevate the energy? By returning to God. Aside from this trace which we said remains and will be removed through Purgatory of the grave. Are there any questions? Is that Noga? Or does it Anything permissible everything? is Klippas Noga. And that is why it could be elevated. I'm sorry, Garrison, you had a question? Uh, no. N- no, just I was looking for the place where it was. You got it? Yeah. Yes, Dr. Yosef. So, uh, I'll say you go to Starbucks and have a coffee. You, you, you say you do it with an unholy intention. Okay. What happens if you're drinking a Starbucks coffee because you want to stay up to do now do something else inappropriate? Yeah. Okay. Or, or what happens if by staying up through the energy of the Starbucks coffee, you're not going to be able to get up in the morning and do whatever is necessary? It doesn't have to be that you're, God forbid, doing a sin. But it means that you're you're using out this energy and it's kinda it's not going to help you. It's going to not only it won't help you, it's going to backfire in you trying to accomplish what's necessary. Who told? What? I said who told. What is the what is the what would be a holy act of having Starbucks coffee, oh, I assume, oh, okay. You're, ju- you're drinking it to uh, stay awake for Tikkun along. Mm, exactly. This Saturday night. Oh, okay. <laughs> you have to stay up late. Yeah, so Perfect okay. segue. That was, that, was, that, was, that was like beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Garrison. Perfect. <laughs> so, now we, now we understand how everything permissible in this world doesn't mean we should do it. And on the contrary, doing everything permissible itself is an issue. We have a, we have a mission in, in life. We're not just supposed to be enjoying everything we can. We're here for a purpose. And yet, we find a contradictory statement by Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shemto, the founder of the Hasidic movement. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, famous quote. Very famous quote. He says, quoting the passage of the Torah, tells us, if you see a donkey that has packages on it and it's not able to move because of the load or it actually fell down because of the load, it is your responsibility to go and help the animal up. Practical application depends on the circumstances. There is a positive mitzvah in the Torah. If you see a fellow Jew on the side of a road stuck with a flat tire same story, similar story. When you see a fellow Jew with a flat tire on the side of the road, there's a mitzvah to help that person. So let's go back to this donkey. Even, even if he's your enemy, right? Let's go back to this donkey, exactly. You see a donkey that has fallen. And you see two donkeys. You see your friend's donkey that has fallen, and you see your enemy's donkey. The Torah says, Kisirech chamar sonach, When you see your enemy's donkey, help your enemy first. Your enemy comes first. Comes Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov and he tells us, who is your enemy? Your enemy is your evil inclination. He translates this in a Kabbalistic way. He says, when you see your enemy and your enemy is struggling, your evil inclination, he's struggling. He feels like you're killing him. Don't do that. Don't kill your evil inclination. Help it out. Use it out. Don't keep away from the physical, says Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. Take the physical and elevate yourself with it. You know, there used to be people back in the shtetl, they were called the, uh, how do you say, someone that sits alone? The hermit. And this would be the big scholars, they would be the hermits. No one would see them, they would sit in a room, and that was like the ultimate. Came along Chassidus and they said, that is not the ultimate. The ultimate is to come into this world and work with this world and elevate it. So to come back to what we're talking about, and you could see that quote from Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov in in the handout number 13. You could see it there on your own. We're not saying to keep away from the physical. No, no, no. That is not our objective here. The handout again is number 13. Our objective here is not to say stop using the physical. The objective is, on the contrary, to use the physical. But to use it for a holy purpose. Point in point. uh, To prove this point. When the television came out, there was a tremendous controversy if this is pure evil. The Rebbe was from the first and perhaps, I'm not familiar, but perhaps I would say he was the first to take the television and have live televised talks on television. Chabad was the first on the internet. The internet, the same exact story happened again. The internet is evil. Chassidists tells us the internet is not evil. The internet is good and evil. But let's permeate it with good. So physical is not evil. Physical is up to us if it's going to be good or evil, what we're going to use it out for. Are there any questions? (laughs) So let's move ahead now, talking about, unfortunately, if we actually sin, God forbid. Such is not the case, however, this, that through just doing teshuva, repentance, everything is elevated to God. This is not the case with forbidden foods and forbidden relations. If someone ate something inappropriate, something not kosher, if someone went ahead and and had a relation with someone they're not allowed to, this derives from the three klepot that are entirely unclean those items that we've eaten or, or that relation that was had is completely unclean there is no good in it just before we go ahead i want to throw out a question there let me Let's rem- Remind me, I have a point. We'll get back to it. I don't want to lose focus. So, if someone did something inappropriate, there's no good. And these are Asur. The energy within these items is tied and bound by the extraneous forces forever. It's bound up. It's Asur. When something is Asur, remember, if something is Asur, it's bound up. That means we've put energy there, godly energy that is forever bound up. It's not going to be released. And are not released until the day comes when death will be swallowed up forever. Until Mashiach comes. When death will be completely removed, then that energy that's tied up will be released. As is written, and I will cause the unclean spirit to pass from the land. Impurity will leave when Mashiach comes. Everything is godly energy. And when we do something inappropriate, we've inserted into that item our godly energy and it's tied up forever until Mashiach comes. Does that does that mean does that mean like that's godly energy that can't be used for good anymore. Is that? You, it's a, it's locked up. It's in a safe. But, but Nothing it could be used for something positive had it not been locked that, absolutely. up. Absolutely, oh, no, no, absolutely. Correct, correct. So we've taken energy, and we've given it over to the evil spirit. Why is it that when Mashiach comes, the Messiah comes, it's going to be released? When Mashiach comes, impurity is going to be destru- going to be removed, and that's you can see that in the quote number fifteen. we say this so often. chayim Number fifteen. But you who cleave to the Lord your God are alive. Chayim, all of you this day. Hashem is life. That is why evil only came after the sin of Adam and Eve. And it's going to be removed when, the, when Mashiach comes. So that with the removal of evil, well, those, those strings around our energy are going to just disappear. So the energy is not tied up forever. It's tied up until death and evil is removed. What happens to Teshuvah? I want to share a few points and then I'll take questions. Number one is we've said that when we do something negative, when we do a sin, we've given our energy over to pure evil with no good in it. Okay? So let's summarize. That means that non-kosher food has no good whatsoever. I, I have a problem. If someone is deathly sick, what does the Torah say? The Torah says, if they need non-kosher food, not only can you, you have to. You have to keep the person alive. But if this is completely evil, why? if there's no good whatsoever, you can't give it to him. You can't give it to that person. What does it mean there's no good whatsoever? Everything is from Hashem. There is nothing in this world not from Hashem, including evil. So Hashem says that I have made that energy tied up forever. But if it's a matter of life and death, then it's all of a sudden permissible. That means this is actually, if, if someone is deathly sick, God forbid, and they eat something non-kosher, they shouldn't go ahead five years later thinking that they sinned. They did no sin. They didn't, for them, it wasn't non-kosher. It was actually kosher. Because Because the Torah says that you need to have this. Why is it that when we're talking about sin we're constantly focusing on two things. Food and relationships. Of God. is is in food and relationships more than anything else breath breath first air so that you're saying food gives you the energy to breathe that's a fair observation thank you the ta- let's look in quote number 14 this is a quote from the shalah the Shnei luchos habris rabbi Harowitz. And he shares with us, why are we focusing so much on food and relations? He says, why are many mitzvahs of the Torah and rabbinic injunction, injunctions injunctions focused on kosher, non-kosher food, and permitted forbidden relations? And we could see this wherever you look. You know how many laws there are about kosher food? You know how intricate kashrut is? There is a full book in the Rambam about who you're allowed to marry, who you're not allowed to marry. There is so much about relations. Why are we so focused on these two items? Says Rabbi Horowitz, he says, sanctify and guard yourself in these two items, food and marriage. Other mitzvos don't affect the physical body. These two mitzvos, for example... If someone goes ahead and is listening, God forbid, to Lashon Hara evil talk it's not affecting the body. He's he's going to be the same, he's going to physically be the same before and after. If someone goes ahead and he sees something he's not allowed to see physically he's the same person. Food and relations these two mitzvos, however, Food, which is the life source of the body. And relations which create the body. They create a child, have an everlasting effect on the body. These two items have an everlasting effect. And that is why we're so focused on these two items. The food you eat, that is who you are. One of the reasons we don't eat non-kosher animals is because most of them are... Killers. We don't need lions. One, one of the reasons we don't need a lion is because he's a killer. Now we're not, I'm not saying that's anything bad. That's the way he lives. But it's bad for a Jew. You don't want to have that negative, that what, that character trait. Perfect. So kosher for these two items form a person, and that is why we focus on them so much. So let's go back over here. We said that if someone went ahead and and did sin, God forbid so they've locked up their energy inside of the, the completely evil spirit until Mashiach comes. But there is one method how you could go ahead and release that energy Sorry. on your own. What is that method? True. Well teshuva has myriads, hundreds of thousands of different types and we're going to come say that the highest level of teshuva can release that energy. And let's look at it. Let's just focus on quotes from the Gemara now. And astonishing. And then we'll look back into Tanya. Number one. Quote number 16. This is a quote from Tractate Yoma. Rish Lakish. Rish Lakish says, Great is repentance, for because of it, premeditated sins are accounted as errors. As it is said, Return, O Israel, unto the Lord thy God, for you have stumbled in your iniqu- iniquity. You have sinned. The, the Pasuk doesn't say that you should go ahead. Iniquity is premeditated. And yet, he calls it stumbling. How could you say you stumbled on something you did intentionally? How could you say, return, O Israel, for you have stumbled if you did it intentionally? So says Reish Lakish, But that is not so, for Reish Lakish said that repentance is so great that premeditated sins are accounted as though they were merits. A premeditated sin, if someone does appropriate tshuva, is going to be counted as if he went ahead and he stayed in shul the entire Yom Kippur fasting. The biggest sin is not going to draw you down through tshuva, it's going to take you, it's going to be counted as a merit. As it is said, And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. He shall live thereby. Live from this sin. The sin is energizing him. The His teshuva has taken the sin and made it holy. And the Gemara concludes, When do we say that a sin is only made to be a to be cons- a, a premeditated sin is considered to be only an unintentional sin. The first statement of Rash that it's a stumbling. When do we say that a premeditated sin is actually going to be a merit? No contradiction. One refers to a case of repentance derived from love; the other one due to fear. There are many types of tshuva. If one does tshuva out of fear, well, then his sin. Is lowered. In other words, rather than being considered a premeditated sin, it's considered an unintentional sin. That's if you repent out of fear. But if you repent out of love, your sin is going to be considered a merit. Your loss is your biggest gain. Unbelievable. Your biggest sin is your biggest gain. And if you think that is shocking, let's continue with number 17, famous Gemara in Brachay 34b. Nothing like it, says the Gemara. Rabbi Avahu said, In the place where a penitent stands, even the holy righteous cannot stand. In the place where a Baal to Shuvah, someone that has done repentance stands, the greatest, holiest Sadiq doesn't stand there. As it is said, Peace, peace to him that was far and peace him that was near to him that was far first and then to him that is near someone that was always holy doesn't come close says rabbi Avoh, in tractate brachot to someone who sinned and then came close to hashem do you know what this means it's unbelievable unbelievable if anyone here Whatever say they're the biggest sinner, remember, that means you have the most potential. Now, just to clarify, I want to tell you what the Gemara says. No one should have any thoughts. The Gemara says, if you're going to sin, in order to do Shuvah, you can't do, that doesn't work anymore. So don't get any wrong thoughts. But, if someone thinks they've hit rock bottom, let them know that they'll hit the, hit the top to where no one else is able to hit. A man wanted to marry a non-Jewish girl. And he came to the Rebbe. He said, I want to ha- have a desire to marry this non-Jewish girl. And the Rebbe looked him in the eyes and he said, I am jealous of you. I am jealous of you. <laughs> what? The Rebbe jealous? That this man wants to marry a non-Jew? What? I'm jealous of your power. Not everyone has that power. Not everyone has the power to want to marry one person and still not marry them. Not everyone has the ability to stand against the evil inclination so strong. The Rebbe was telling him your your godly energy is greater than most. Because if this is a person you want to marry and you won't, because Hashem says so, that means you have energy to overcome that. Many people don't. So the place where we're about Shuvah stands, no one else comes close, no one comes near. Let me give you an example. If, if you go ahead and you hear that in Tasmania there's a treasure. First one there will get it. Many people will go, but they're not going to go so fast, but if you hear did you have you? Are you familiar with the story of a woman who had her child trapped under the car and picked up the car and saved the child? There was a child trapped under a car. During one rush, yeah. and a woman. She picked. What does that mean? That means that when it's life threatening, we all of a sudden have new energy. If I hear there's a treasure in Tasmania, it's not life threatening. But if I hear a matter of life and death, all of a sudden there's new energy like never before. The Baal Teshuvah, the person that has separated from God, he has energy like that woman picking up the car. He has a whole new energy. He's able to spring somewhere that no one else can. And let's put this all together. Although when someone sinned, the energy is tied up until it's tied up, as we have said, forever. You still have the ability to remove it. And that is through doing teshuva, not out of fear, but out of love. Connecting to God. Not because, God forbid, you think if you don't repent, he's going to punish you. No, no. You connect to Hashem because Hashem is the creator of the world. Hashem has done so much good for me. You connect to Hashem because... You are Hashem, as we learned in chapter 2, you are a part of Hashem. So when you do this, not only is your sin released, it's now mutar, but you've gone somewhere like never before. Let's put this in the words of Tanya, and then we'll take questions. Back in Tanya, we're up to the words, or until. until Prior we've said that the godly energy of a sin is tied up forever. But now we give option two, the godly energy is tied up until the sinner repents to such an extent that his premeditated sins become trans- transmuted into veritable merits. We're taking the sins, we're making them merits. Which is achieved through repentance out of love, Teshuvah me'ahava. So Yitzchok, when he said Teshuvah, Teshuvah is correct. But there's so many methods. We have to have Teshuvah out of love. And even in Teshuvah out of love, returning to Hashem out of love, there are many levels. So the Rebbe Shneir Zaman clarifies. What do you mean connecting to Hashem out of love? Coming from, number one, the depths of the heart with great love and fervor. That's number one. It should come from, our, from deep inside of us, this love. And two, from a soul passionately desiring to cleave to the blessed God. And thirsting for God like a parched desert soil. If someone turns to Hashem with this passion and It's an internal passion. We all know passion, you could have an external passion. Sin is an external passion. What does it mean to sin? It means we didn't allow our... When we sin, we haven't allowed our mind to to control us. A human was created standing. Why do animals not stand and a human stands? Hashem created a human body in order of importance. First, his brain in order for his brain to operate he has to be able to breathe, he has to be able to eat, then the heart. But the brain is on top, the brain has to control the heart. So when we've sinned, we, haven't allowed, we have allowed our heart, our lust, our desire to control this. We haven't allowed our mind to focus. So the first thing we need to do is not to have an external love for Hashem. No, it has to be deep and it has, to be, it has to be a longing for Hashem. And when we do this, so then, for inasmuch as his soul had been in a barren wilderness, in the shadow of death, which is the Sitra Akhara, your soul has, someone who sinned, his soul has become so f- far and distant from God, and infinitely removed from the light of the divine countenance. Because you've gone so far, his soul now thirsts for God, even more than the souls of the righteous. The soul of this person who has sinned has more energy, more love, more drive to connect for Hashem than even the greatest, holiest man, as our sages say, in the place Where penitents stand, not even the perfectly righteous can stand. It is concerning the repentance out of such great love that they have said, the penitent's premeditated sins become, in his case, like virtues, since thereby he has attained to this great love. Tremendous! When we serve someone who has sinned, and he serves Hashem out of this great love, because he's been far, but now he wants to come close. He can attain what no one else can. But, we need to remember that it has to be this serious connection. And that's what we're going to conclude now. However, Rav Shner's continues. He says, Repentance that does not come from such love. Even though it is to be true repentance, it is real teshuva You sincerely beg God to forgive your sin and acknowledge this sin and commit to not do it again and God will pardon him. You've done true repentance. Nevertheless, if it's not this sin, out of a deep-seated desire and a longing for God, his sins are not transformed into merits, and they are not completely released from the Klippa until the end of time, when death will be swallowed up forever. Let's summarize and take questions. In summary, we started off saying the name of something tells us what it is. If something is permitted, it is called mutar. It is untied. If something is prohibited, it is called called asur. It's tied up. Because when we sin, we have put our energy and tied it up into the complete evil. And it will only be released with the coming of the Mashiach or when someone does teshuva repentance out of such great love that it is from deep within him and it is Coming from this tremendous yearning and desire to connect with Hashem. When you do this, similarly, today, if someone, God forbid, has sinned today, if they create this deep-seated desire and love to connect with Hashem, that sin will become the greatest merit. So to complete, to end on a high note, don't worry about any sin. Because use that sin as a plateau, as a stepping stool. Not only does will that sin not take you down, but it will be that trampoline. That, that sin has taken you down. Just like when you go on a trampoline, you need to go down. But by going down, it will take you up to a place that someone that has not gone on that tra- trampoline cannot go. Are there any questions? Okay, have, have a good night